0: Over the last few weeks, we've been working our way through the Beatitudes and through the principles of Celebrate Recovery, which are based on those Beatitudes. Very quickly, I want to recap what we've talked about. So if you just put the first principle up for me. Um, So we talked about um, blessed are the poor in spirit and that we begin this journey by admitting that um, we are powerless to control our tendency to do the wrong thing and our lives are unmanageable. Not that they're as bad as they can be, right, Uh, but that without God, we can't keep it together. All right, and then we talked about, go to the next slide, um, we talked about um, blessed are those who mourn, that they will be comforted, and we said that we have to mourn our sin, and then in the wake of that sin, seek comfort in God, earnestly believe that God exists, that we matter to Him, that He has the power to help us recover. Okay, and then principle three, um, came from uh, the decision to submit our lives or be meek before God, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Uh, And then uh, last week we did two principles. Um, We talked about number four, um, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust, blessed are the pure in heart. And then we talked about voluntarily submitting to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly asking Him to remove my character defects Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, So today, um, we're going to talk about um, the two two Beatitudes, but but one CR principle. We're going to talk about this Beatitude that says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And we're going to talk about the um, instruction, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Uh, And and these two ideas of of, um, mercy and peacemaking, we're going to think about in terms of forgiveness and making amends, okay? And and just as we begin, just go ahead and throw that other, the next principle up. So, today we're going to talk about um, principle number six, evaluate all my relationships, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me, and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me. Make amends for harm I've done. Okay? So I want to think about those two ideas concurrently. I want to first think about um, the idea of offering forgiveness to those who've hurt me. Blessed are the merciful. So sometime in fifth grade, I honestly don't remember exactly when, um, I was on the playground with some friends after school, and we were just kind of hanging around and talking. Uh, A small group, I don't know, maybe it was three or four or five of us maybe six. It was something in that vicinity. And out of nowhere, um, this kid that I knew came up behind me, and he shanked me. Um, now, if you don't know what shanked means, uh, that means he came up behind me, and he pulled my pants down, um, which, you know, was pretty awful. Uh, and, and you can imagine in, in fifth grade, that was, that was pretty embarrassing. Uh, and it was made more difficult by a couple of factors. One factor was that um, that group of kids I was hanging out with, some of them were girls, and one of them was the girl that I, in uh, my fifth grade wisdom, knew that I was destined to marry. Um, that didn't work out, and I'm pretty sure this is probably why. Um, the other um, problem was that the kid who shanked me was a friend of mine, or at least had been. And then you know, I'd played at his house, and he'd played at my house, and... Um, we weren't, like, best friends by any stretch of the imagination, but we were friendly. And so it was, it was really uh, a difficult moment, and I remember that my first reaction was to try to get in a fight about it, um, and it turns out it's really hard to chase someone when your pants aren't on all the way. Um, so uh, he ran away laughing, and um, when I had the good sense to pull the pants the rest of the way up, um, then I realized um, how incredibly embarrassed I was. And the anger became shame, and I, and I took off. And, you know, in the grand scheme of life, it was a relatively minor experience, right? I was thinking earlier this week that if this is um, the great traumatic memory for me from elementary school, then I live a charmed life, right? But I got to tell you, I, I harbored, I harbored a, a pretty significant grudge against that kid for a long time, right? And I spent a lot of time in fifth grade thinking about, like, how to get revenge. Right? I never actually got revenge, no, praise God. Um, but but I just, it was the end of our friendship, right? I, I never talked to that kid in a positive way ever again. And though I got over it, uh, there was a little bit of a thing in the back of my mind that I, I sort of enjoyed having a villain in my life, right? It was nice to have somebody that I could just genuinely, just totally dislike, And I hung on to that um, a little bit. It became less significant for me, you know, the next year. And in middle school, I didn't think about him a lot. In high school, I didn't think about him a lot. But I, you know, I kind of hang on to that grievance. And we totally lost track of each other. Uh, and then sometime when I was in college, I uh, called home to talk to my parents. And they said, hey, you know, um, a, a weird thing we heard today. Um, do you remember that friend of yours? Um, uh, they don't know this story, but that friend of yours you knew in elementary school I said, yeah, sure, I remember him. They said, well, yeah, he died this week. I said, what, what did he die of? He said, well, he, it's not entirely clear. It, it seems that he uh, had become addicted to some serious drugs, and there was also a car involved, and we don't know if he was driving under the influence or what, but um, yeah, he, he died. And I remember thinking... Um, maybe for the first time in a very long time, um, how sorry I was for him, right? This was a kid who was smart and popular and good-looking and had everything going for him in life. And I remember thinking just how incredibly sad I was for him that that's the way his life went. I didn't know about the addiction. I didn't know about any of that stuff. And then a little bit in the back of my head, I thought, did I let him down? I mean, did did my ability to, to keep that grudge Um, and and end that friendship, let him down a little bit? What what if I had been in his life, and what if um, I had been able to um, encourage him in a different path? It's not my responsibility by any stretch of the imagination, right? But I just thought, you know, my unforgiveness maybe had repercussions beyond just I got to be angry at him for a while. So I wonder for you if there's a place in your life where you know there is some unforgiveness today. It might be really small, right? I mean, it might be even smaller than that. It might be that, you know, you had an argument with your spouse this morning or with your kids or with your, your brother or your sister, and, you know, you're just hanging on to that because it feels good to be angry, and it. you know, you, you were right in the first place. Or, or maybe it's much, much larger than my thing, right? M- maybe you've experienced some, some real pain and trauma that you didn't deserve in the course of your life. Um, and you're, you're still wrestling with that, right? Where, where is some unforgiveness in your life today? And what would it mean to turn that over to God, even this morning? See, I, I think that forgiveness is a critical component of wholeness, and as a Christian, it's a critical component of our faith, um, that, that there is something essential to being um, a follower of Jesus that means we have to find a way to forgive others. So, let's talk a little bit about what that means. What does forgiveness look like? What is forgiveness? Here's what I'd say. I'd say forgiveness is recognizing and releasing our hurt and anger in order to become open to reconciliation. I'll say that again. Forgiveness is recognizing and releasing our hurt and anger in order to become open to reconciliation. So um, all those ideas are really important. I want to talk about them each briefly. Um, First of all, we have to recognize our hurt and anger. Uh, And and this sounds like a no-brainer, but it's not always. And very often, we carry stuff around in our hearts and in our heads that we don't even admit to ourselves is there. Uh, And we say, oh gosh, well, I love that person, so I can't really be angry at them. You can't be angry at somebody who you love. Or we say, oh, well, that, that person you know, I'm sure they, they did their best and they had good intentions, so I, it's not really fair for me to be upset with them at what they did. Or we say, oh no, that didn't really bother me. It might have bothered somebody else, but it didn't bother me. And so I think the, the first step to forgiveness is we have to acknowledge our hurt, right? We have to acknowledge that um, it's okay to be injured. It's okay uh, that what that person did caused us pain, uh, and that pain is real and needs to be resolved. And then um, we have to release it. We have to release it. Uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes says, I think the first step is to understand that forgiveness does not exonerate the perpetrator. Forgiveness liberates the victim. It's a gift you give yourself. See, I, I think unforgiveness lives in our heart uh, like a cancer, right? And, and, it, and it eats away at us and it builds up bitterness and resentment and anger and it hardens us to being able to receive even the grace of God, much less the grace from other people. And so, um, it is essential for us that we we have to release that. We have to let that go. Um, We've said before that, you know, harboring all that resentment, holding that grudge against someone is akin to drinking rat poison and hoping that the rats will die from it right? You're not hurting them. You're only hurting you. And so recognizing that releasing all of that pain and all of that anger is liberating yourself, right? It's not saying that what was done wasn't wrong. It's saying that you won't have to relive that experience again and again and again. By the way, this isn't a process that you're probably going to do once, right? For, for small hurts, for sure, right? For a small hurt, you can do it once and you're done. But for something that's bigger, uh, this might be something that you come back to again and again in your life. There's a moment in the Gospel of Matthew in the 18th chapter where Jesus and Peter are talking about forgiveness. And Peter says to Jesus, Lord, how often should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times. Uh, in other words, Jesus says, you're going to have to keep doing it. And for those things that have caused you a great deal of pain and sorrow in your life, you may have to come back to them again and again and again. And every time that pain and that bitterness and that anger is dredged back up in your life, you may have to offer it back to God again. Say, God, I, I forgive them again. Right? I forgive them again. For minor hurts, for the little stuff, Um, I think this is just a a mindset, right? We simply decide to be forgivers. We simply decide to say, I will forgive you um, because that's what I do. But for the big stuff, it takes some help. So I want to offer two things I think that are helpful for me in those moments. And the first is to be reminded about how much I have been forgiven, right? That while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. That all the hurt that I caused God and my selfish living has already been forgiven. And that is so much more than any hurt that I might have received. Um, There's another parable about this also in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew um, that Jesus gives when He's talking about what it means to forgive over and over and over again. And uh, still talking to Peter, and He says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents, um, we're talking about millions and millions of dollars, okay? One owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, right? So we're talking about uh, maybe uh, a month's wages. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and threw him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, "'You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you?' And in his anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt." So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I I come back to this parable and I think about the 10,000 talents I've been forgiven. I mean, the unbelievable sum that was paid for me as Christ died on the cross for my sins. And I say, "I, I know I'm struggling to forgive this person, but if God could find a way to forgive me, how can I not try to find a way to forgive them? So the first thing when you're struggling with that unforgiveness, come back to God's forgiveness of you. The second thing is recognize this can be a long process, and that's okay. Um, It takes some spiritual work to forgive another, and, and sometimes this might take you weeks or months or years. Stay in it. Don't give up on that process. And and sometimes there might even come a point where you need to have a conversation, uh, a literal conversation with someone, or or maybe even one where you just write a letter, right? Maybe they're never even going to read it, but you write a letter and you express your hurt and your forgiveness. Um, There's there's such a letter in John Baker's book. Um, He says um, his good friend John Eklund wrote this one, and it begins, Dear Mom, this is long overdue, I'm not sure what's taken me so long to write you. Well, that's not quite true. There are many reasons. I started writing to you in the past, but I'd get stuck and quit. Maybe I wasn't ready before now. It's probably best that I waited. I've been working on my recovery. I have finally found the clarity to be honest with myself, to be honest with you. It's been 20 years since I walked out of your apartment. An angry, lost, wounded teenager jumped into my car and took off. I have never looked back until now. I have regrettably blamed you for the many messes I've made in life. Maybe I blamed you because then I wouldn't have to clean them up. The divorce in grade school, the moving from house to house, the many relationships you got into and out of had effects beyond what I think you were willing to admit. Your decisions impacted many people. They impacted me, and I hated you for it. I protected and forgave you until something broke that night nearly two decades ago. It seems like I have been limping emotionally since then. Anger toward you has always seemed a safe place to store and release my pain. I'm not sure when it stopped working. Maybe it never really did. And looking back at 20 years of hating you, I have seen a heart hardened toward a mom who was just as broken and lost as I was. I've also seen a heart hardened toward everyone, including God. I think it makes sense to me now that what Jesus said in Matthew 6, that if I do not forgive, I won't be forgiven. It's not that God can't forgive me. It's that my heart is not breathing when I have unforgiveness. I am not inhaling grace. I am not exhaling grace. Without forgiveness, my heart has been dead. Sometimes I see someone who reminds me of you. I often look at my daughters and wonder what it would be like for them to know their grandma Chrissy. In some ways, I still can't believe you're gone. You were so alive, larger than life. Your laugh was loud and unashamed. I hear your laugh in rose my youngest. I am sorry, Mom. I will not blame you for my choices. I believe your choices, even the bad ones, are being redeemed in my life for God's glory. I am sorry I wasted the time we had here together being angry. My hope and comfort is that we will see each other again where there will be no more pain and no more tears. You are never far from my thoughts. I love you, Mom. Sometimes it takes our whole life to figure out how to offer the forgiveness um, that we and others need. Don't give up on it. Um, One other side note we have to mention here briefly about forgiveness. Um, I I said that forgiveness is um, the, the process by which We choose to um, recognize and release our hurt and anger in order to become open to reconciliation. And I use that language very carefully, right? We have to recognize, we have to release, and we have to become open to reconciliation. Hear me clearly, forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. It may be that in the small hurts of your life, they work like they are. It may be that as you look back over the little argument you had over breakfast, you recognize that forgiveness and reconciliation come hand in hand. But for some of the really big traumatic things that happen, it may not be appropriate to be reconciled to the other who hurt you just because you have forgiven them. Forgiveness means wanting good for them, right? That means that insofar as you are um, it, uh, the, the responsible party, um, you would be open to that, but you need to see transformation in their life too. Right? So forgiveness does not mean going back to someone who has hurt you or abused you or wounded you and allowing them to do it again. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, um, I will no longer hold bitterness and resentment toward them. And perhaps one day, if I see transformation in their life, if I see that they've moved beyond that history, maybe one day there's a way for us to be reconciled. Maybe that happens in this life, and maybe it happens when we reach that place where sin and sorrow and suffering are no more. I'm open to it, but you don't force it. right? Forgiveness um, isn't reconciliation. It's a you thing. right? It's about you releasing that pain, that hurt. So I, I want to ask you today, um, as you reflect on your life, where are those places and who are those people um, where you need to think about offering forgiveness in big or small ways? Uh, and, and how can you recognize and release the hurt and anger that you have because of what they have done? Uh, and, and maybe make yourself open to reconciliation in the future and in that process, I want to encourage you uh, to remember God's forgiveness of you and to stick with it. Okay, that's, that's half uh, of this process, right? That's what we do if we um, have been hurt by another, be blessed are the merciful, right? But what about the other side of the coin? What about when we are the one who's done the hurting? And we recognize that that's true for all of us, right? We all have been hurt and we all have hurt others. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I've always really liked this beatitude. Some of them are harder for me. This one I love. I love the idea of making peace. Because I think of peace as a very passive sort of thing, right? The absence of conflict. Jesus doesn't say, hope that one day peace comes. He says, make peace. Or in the language of Celebrate Recovery or the 12-step movement, make amends. And that's what is happening in this passage in Numbers. It's a, it's a really interesting one um, because Moses, well, actually God, and then um, um, through God, Moses, is, is almost kind of vague about what wrongs we're talking about, right? So remember, um, the Lord says to Moses, when a man or woman wrongs another, breaking faith with the Lord, interesting, to wrong another person is to break faith with the Lord, Interesting. That person incurs guilt and shall confess the sin that has been committed. The person shall make full restitution for the wrong, adding one-fifth to it and giving it to the one who was wronged. So, um, this is pretty easy to think through if um, you've stolen somebody's camel, right? You say, all right, well, I'll give you your camel back, and then, you know, now you have I don't know, one-fifth of my camel, right? I'll give you a little bit extra. Here's some, here's some extra money that goes with that camel. Um, but it's not always so easy to do um, in, in, in our lives today, right? What does it mean not just to apologize, not just to confess your sin, not just to repent from it, as we talked last week, but to offer restitution, There's an old story um, about a a preacher who was preaching on this very topic, and then afterwards a young man came to him and said, "Um, Pastor, you've put me into a bind. See, here's my situation. Uh, I'm a boat builder by trade, and I I work for a boat builder, and um, he's, he's not a Christian. And so over the years, I've tried to witness to him and talk to him about Jesus. He's never really been very interested, but he knows that I am a follower of Christ and, and over the last few years, uh, I've, been, I've been building this boat in my home. And see, the thing about boats is you've you got to use these really expensive copper nails because otherwise the, the nails rust and they're no good. And I've been stealing them from my work. And I've been taking them home and, and building my boat at home with those copper nails. And, and now I feel convicted. I feel like I should go and, and confess what I've done wrong. But at the same time, I'm afraid for my Christian witness with this guy man walks away and he comes back a few weeks later and he comes to the pastor. He says, Pastor, um, I've got great news. Uh, I, I talked to my boss and we settled the matter and things are really, really good. And the pastor said, that's fantastic. What happened when you told your boss? And he said, oh, he looked at me and he said, George, I've always thought you were a hypocrite. But now I'm not so sure. Maybe there's something to your Christianity after all any religion that makes a man admit he's been stealing a few copper nails and offer to settle for them must be worth having. There is something transformative about saying, not just I was wrong, but I want to make it right. And I recognize we can't always do that, right? Um, but, but I love this idea that part of the of the Christian walk is, is turning back to God and saying, God, how do I make right what I put wrong? There is uh, an important um, caveat on this, and I'll just mention it briefly. Uh, in, in the principle in Celebrate Recovery, it says you, you, you make restitution uh, as long as it won't hurt others. Um, and and. and in a nutshell, what that means is um, that if I go and dredge up uh, a past pain that I caused you, that you are long since over, just so I can feel some relief, that's not actually about you, it's about me. Right? Uh, and so the, the really simple question I ask there is, um, as I am likely avoiding this conversation about restitution, about making amends? Am I avoiding it because of the pain that I might experience or the pain you might experience, right? If it's about my pain, then um, I got to have the talk, right? If it's about your pain, then perhaps I need to think carefully about how I handle it. Um, Having said that, um, I I really love this idea um, that we we are called to do more then just say, I'm sorry. And so um, Celebrate Recovery has a really simple um, set of steps that I'll, I'll mention to you very briefly. If you're thinking about how you might make restitution or make amends in your life, uh, number one, make a list. Literally sit down and make a list and say, who are the people in my life that I've hurt that I need to make amends with? And, and then uh, number two, think about how you would like someone to do that for you. Right? My guess is you'd want that to be a private conversation. Right? Not one head on public. My guess is you want that person to come in with a lot of humility. My guess is you want that to be an appropriate conversation. What I mean by that is, um, I'm not going to go seek out somebody I had an affair with and say, hey, can we get together a coffee so I can apologize for sinning against you? Right? Not, not a good idea. And I really like this. Um, I would expect nothing in return. I will expect nothing in return. When I come to you and, and, and try to make amends for what I've done, I'm not expecting that you're going to say, wow, Jim, you're such an amazing person. Your courage to confess your sin has made me believe in the gospel. I'm not expecting anything. I'm doing it because it's what God's called me to do. And then if there's any way that I can make things right, I do it. And sometimes, um, sometimes there's not. Sometimes all I can say is, um, I'm so very sorry. If in my life I can ever restore this pain to you, um, then then I'll do whatever I can. I I came across a a wonderful um, story of restitution and making amends um, from... Uh, A website I really enjoy called The Forgiveness Project. If you're bored someday, go on The Forgiveness Project website and just read those stories. They're awesome. Uh, This particular one is about two men whose names I'm probably going to mispronounce. Um, One is Felipe. um, The other is Teres Fore. I hope I'm getting that close. You probably know that in 1994, in the small African nation of Rwanda, there was a, a massive genocide where uh, 800,000 to a million people were killed in the course of about four months. And, and most of that violence happened with neighbors. So it, it wasn't um, as it was in Germany where they were shipped off to sort of factories of execution. This was neighbors coming into their, each other's houses and, and killing them with machetes. Right? And after that violence ended, uh, you can imagine... Um, the The scale of the problem that faced the people uh, in, in a nation where upwards of a million people were murdered and upwards of a million people were murderers, uh, how do you bring justice? How do you bring reconciliation? How do you put life back together as a family member when you know that your loved ones were killed by the neighbor who still lives next door to you? The, the, I mean, the logistics were unbelievable. One of the things that the Rwandan government decided to do was they reinstituted something, I'm going to say this wrong too, called gakaka Courts. And Gakkaka, um is literally a word that means justice on the grass or justice in the lawn. It was an old tradition of having um, sort of tribal elders officiate small cases at a local level. And the gakaka Courts were not empowered usually to mitigate Uh, or to to issue out retributive justice, right? They couldn't put people in prison. They couldn't execute people anything like that. Um, But their purpose was simply to expose the darkness, to bring it into the light, and to see if there was a way for any restoration to happen. So um, in one of these Gakaka courts, um, there was a a story of uh, two men. One, um, Felipe, who... um, experienced the victim side of this genocide, and one, um, Teres Foray, who was um, the villain side. So Felipe shared uh, that um, when the killing began in 1994, his father sent his oldest sister um, and his other siblings to the place where he was hiding, and he thought they'd be safe. Um, Unfortunately, His oldest sister died and his mother died um, from diseases at the time. And then three weeks later, um, someone found his father hiding in the banana trees. And he says, my father pleaded for mercy, saying, if you kill me, my five orphans will have no one to protect them. But his attacker had no pity and said, if I could find those orphans, I'd kill them too. Then he killed my father with a machete. Felipe says, I remained in hiding until the genocide was over. My four younger sisters thankfully survived. Uh, Afterwards, eventually I began studying again, uh, and I became a priest, and I wanted to do something to honor my parents' memory, which meant getting married and having kids, Uh, and so I I actually left the priesthood but stayed um, in in my faith. Uh, I married a a woman of my tribe because I couldn't marry a woman of the other tribe after what had happened. Um, and I had no idea what had happened against my own family. Um, uh, but Felipe had been very involved in the Gacaca courts and helping other people through their reconciliation process. He says, um, One day, uh, an official from the courts asked if I would want to meet the person who had killed my father. I didn't hesitate. After all, by now, I had come to terms with the death of my parents. But when I went to the court and heard um, how... Teresfori explained how he killed my father. Everything burst open again. After I recovered, Teresfori continued his story. I had worked for two years preparing perpetrators for the Gakaka trials, encouraging them to seek forgiveness so they could be personally redeemed. And now it was my turn to apply this to myself. I looked and saw Teresfori on his knees in front of me, crying and asking for my forgiveness. I immediately forgave him, but wanted him to come to my home Said so as a family, we could all forgive him together. Four months later, he came to my house. He brought food and banana wine. Again, he started crying and repeatedly saying how sorry he was. Eventually, I escorted him home. Then my wife and I embarked on the path of true reconciliation. We wanted to do more than just forgive, but to actually live as neighbors and friends side by side. So now his mother also comes to my home and we share meals. We are all true friends. Will you put that picture up, I have a picture of um, Felipe on the left and Teresfore on the right. Um, and I, I share this story because I recognize that there are some, leave that up for a minute, there are some hurts uh, that you can't make right. There are some wounds that you can't heal. Uh, there's some sorrow that no amount of making amends can ever undo. But I think if, if those two men can find a way to be reconciled, um, then surely, surely I can work this process of offering forgiveness and restitution to those whom I have hurt. Because whatever's happened to me um, looks nothing like that. Now, I don't know your story. Um, Maybe the pain in your life is on that level. Maybe you know people in your life who have hurt you in ways that are comparable with that. and let me tell you that there's some hope for you, right? That if they can make this work, then so can you. Uh, and, and perhaps you would say, yeah, Jim, but if you knew what had happened to me, uh, it's even greater than the sorrow uh, that they went through. Then I would say, yeah, but it's not greater than what Christ went through. And if God can find a way to forgive us, um, then surely we can find a way to forgive another. Uh, And so I want to invite you today to reflect on um, where are those places where you need to offer forgiveness that is undeserved, and where are those places where you are called to make amends that is long overdue, and and recognize that it's not an easy, quick process, um, but it is a transformational one, and in so doing, you get to do something like Christ. You get to do the work of God on behalf of another. And then I believe you can be freed to have a forward-facing life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for the incredible lengths to which you went to enable the forgiveness we did not deserve. We thank you for the 10,000 talents that you have washed away. And we pray, Lord, that today you would help us to recognize and release any unforgiveness in our hearts to let go of the bitterness and the resentment and the grudges that we have held so that we can be free of them and open to reconciliation. And God, we pray that today, uh, like Zacchaeus, we could go and make restitution to those we have wronged, that we can make amends, even if it is simply saying how very sorry we are and recognizing that you will fill in what we cannot We thank you, Lord, that you call us into this process. We thank you, Lord, that um, through this work, we can turn forward again to you and become whole. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower us today to be merciful and to be peacemakers. Amen.